This is Agents Influence Podcast. So I love studying behavior in people, understanding what makes them tick and try to anticipate what they're going to do next. A lot of my research in my career through my 20s became doing research for companies that wanted to either come out with new products or identify new markets. In the insurance industry, it's you're selling a promise. The moment of truth is when someone has a claim, their affection and affinity for their insurance carrier is amplified. And interestingly, like the love affair is always between the customer and the agent. You guys are the ones that hold a relationship close to your heart. I'm Jason Cass, and we're going to help you think differently, change your agency, change your finances, change your family, and in the end, we're going to change an industry. Let's go. Hey, 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 loyal listeners. Welcome once again to another podcast here with Agents Influence, Conversations with Jason Cass. That's me. And uh, today I'm here with Delana Davis, uh, who a lot of you probably don't know. A lot of you do know. Um, She hangs out in some of my other circles. Uh, We used to actually hang out a lot back in the day, um, but I haven't seen her so much and I reached out to her because she's doing some exciting things. And uh, if you do know Delana Davis, you know that she's got her hands in a lot of things because she's passionate about a lot of things. And people that are passionate deserve time on Agents Influence Podcast. So I am very glad to have you. Before I get to her, um, I do want to let you guys know about WeGotYourPodcast.com. We've got your podcast.com. Um, go there and check it out. So if you have a podcast or if you're wanting to start a podcast, let's put it this way. If you have a niche and you want to blow your competition out of the water because everybody's got a niche, you should start a podcast. And when you start a podcast, I can show you how to do it because I have one for my nonprofit business. I have one, this one here. So we have a lot of different ways that I can uh, help you with your podcast. So I'm looking forward to it. If you would give us the opportunity, my team is awesome. We got your podcast.com. That's it. Miss Delana Davis, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, well, dude, I'm I'm excited about this. You're one of those that I think I was supposed to do last week, or the, and my I lost my voice. Oh, um, no. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really bad, really bad. Um, and the thing was, is I didn't really do anything. I came back from Ohio, hanging out with the Neon Pilot agents. But I mean, all we did was sit around a farmhouse and drink beer and we played golf one day. And then I came back and I didn't have a voice. And everybody's like, you have Corona. I'm like, oh, no. no, I didn't have my voice. I don't know. I felt fine. I just didn't have my voice. So anyways, um, it uh, it's good to finally have you on. It's been a long time since uh, you and I have really chatted it up and seen each other. It's been years since we've sure. actually seen each other face to face. Yeah, we met. Actually, if you recall, I'll take you down memory lane. We were okay. both on a panel. It was a big eye conference and we were okay. talking about digital disruption back in, I think, 2012. 2012, yes. And you had short hair then. I did. I did that short hair. hair. That was my insurance hair. Now I have wild free spirit entrepreneur (laughs) hair. (laughs) There's a lot of truth in that. There's a lot of truth in that. Uh, But uh, yeah, so then we met. I think we kind of hit it off because I think you kind of think from a different uh, angle about things. I think not coming from the insurance industry, um, you know, as a little person or as a young person, I had neither. I believe that we had things that, were different. So, um, what, what, where was it at? What big eye conference was it? it? I, I believe it was in Texas and that's actually where I 
happened to be sitting next to Chris Paradiso, who didn't know me at the time, but I said, hi, neighbor, your your agency is literally five miles from where I live. And so he- Was it an act meeting? Yes, it was act there. It was in, really in, in, in Texas. I That's remember right. that now. I do remember yeah. that. Yeah. Ryan um, Haley was there, right? Yeah. I met all of you guys. That was great. Yeah. To yeah, uh, get yeah. invited into your country club. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I didn't start in insurance, but when I joined Travelers in 06, mm-hmm. they didn't have a market research department at the time. So I was brought in to build out the department and learn, t- show the organization how to bring the voice of customer and agents into decision making. So when we met, I had been working in their e-business function. And what mm-hmm. I did was traveled the country uh, for two years and literally pulled up a chair next to agents and watched them work. And so when they would say to me, hey, you know, we're a paper-free office and there was literally a four-foot stack of paper behind them, I'm like, right, <laughs> sure. paper-free, paper-free. So paper it was free. interesting to try to understand, just like you, how can we help a category innovate and move forward and embrace technology when we had to compete with a lot of agencies have a certain workflow? So even if a carrier came out, came out aggressively and tried to help automate things and, and make things more digitally efficient, if all the other carriers were out of pattern, it becomes mm-hmm. a difficult change Very management, difficult. behavioral management shift. So I came into it with that behavioral psychologist view um, mm-hmm. and watched people work, you know, kind of like um, social anthropologists would go into a tribe and watch them. So that's what I did. I was watching oh, you guys. <laughs> and then, you know, fun. yeah, it was a blast. It was my favorite part of my, I was there for seven years. So and I, I think that's what attracted me to you was the fact that you have so much interest in, once again, not being in the industry, coming into the industry. I mean, you had no, you had your parents or anything weren't in insurance, were no. they? Okay. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. And so that I think is a, uh, is a huge thing because that is why it's always been easy for me to challenge the norm in this insurance industry. I wasn't brought up in it. I didn't sit around and listen to my mom or dad talk about insurance and how the way it was. I'm just bringing what I know into it. And I think that people like you are vital to keeping it fresh, right? We are the fresh water that creates the, or creates, or doesn't allow the the water to get stagnant, right? That's right. You gotta have new water. That's us. We're new water. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Delana, are you, are you ready for this? I am. Are you an iPhone or you a droid user? Oh boy. Now I have a, I'll probably, well, should I be honest? <laughs> Please do. I, I'm an iPhone user and mm-hmm. I think Android people are weird. <laughs> I'll just say it. Really? Okay. Yeah, dude, so many people right now are listening to this. They're like, get him doing it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, are you, you know? one of those people? Okay. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not. Okay. I'm a droid person. But eighty oh, percent okay. of my people that listen are probably iPhone people. Well, so he, here's it, a fascinating thing, and maybe you already mm-hmm. know this, but if you look at the psychographic and technographic profiles of the two users, they're dramatically different. Dramatically so, different. So I'll tell you. So my we we've we've done this study. I mean, like unscientifically. Yeah. But absolutely, if you go back and you listen to my guests, if they are a CEO, a C-suite person, almost every time. I mean. 99% of the time they use an iPhone. They do. If you're talking about developers and you're talking about people who are actually techies. hands-in techies, yeah. they're droid. They're That's droid true. people. It's and so true. and so we have noticed that. Absolutely. Yeah. We have noticed that galore. Well, here's how it plays out on the revenue side of the thing. So um, when I left Travelers, I formed a holistic wellness company. We were service focused for the first couple of years. And I focused a lot on business leaders that wanted development help in in leadership and conflict resolution, change management. Mm -hmm. 
um, my business partner was focusing more on the clinical side of things. And so the joke was, if you came to see us, if you were going to cry, you have to go see Rita. And if you wanted to talk about your business, you would come to see me. But three years ago, we actually, I should say in 15, we said, we want to reach more people. We had a goal of, we want to influence 1 billion lives by 2020. And we didn't know how we were going to do it, but it became apparent that technology was going to have to be a, a catalyst in that. So we filed a patent in 2015 that described a smart app that we would develop that would get to know you and it would deliver audio, visual, guided meditations that would help you with whatever you're tr- you were struggling with. So it could have been you know, emotional things like anxiety, depression. Right now, PTSD mm-hmm. is a big one. It could be some form of chronic pain. So neuropathy, right. migraine headache. And so we filed the patent back then. And now, you know, our product has been in market for a couple of years. And when we watch the numbers, I'd say 99% of our revenue comes from the Apple side because on the Android side, people wow. people don't want to, uh, in that Android world, everything's open source coding. And all those developers and techies share everything. So there's there's a myriad of free apps. So I think Android users are trained that you shouldn't pay for apps. You should never pay for an app. So I think right. our, our number of Android users, when they have to pay for it versus if their employer gives it to them. So what is the most recent uh, app that you've downloaded uh, since you're such a, a savvy Apple owner? All my own. <laughs> Actually, the very last one I downloaded, we developed for the Trinity Healthcare Systems. So that's they actually represent 96 hospitals across the country. But we're going to be rolling it out in um, in the New England area first. So um, that's that's that is the last one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty safe, safe answer considering what yeah. you do. That's true. Do yeah. you love to win or do you hate to lose? I love to win. <laughs> I could see that about you. I yeah. can definitely see that about you. So you you love to win and hating to lose is just something that, that I could see could probably drive you crazy to where you wouldn't sleep for seven days. No, I actually would say losing is a point of view. I always oh. literally in everything I do, there's oh. always a win-win. And this oh, this is just my, my firm belief. If something doesn't line up exactly the way you want it to, when you want it to, it's not your thing for right now. And something right. else always happens. Mm-hmm. So we've been so right about that. part of what I had to learn. So a lot of humility um, in the last few years when we started raising money and bringing in investors for the first year before we had a product, I was pitching the idea. And it's pretty hard to convince people in New England that meditation is an alternative to something like opioid crisis. You know, they'd say, and actually my, my cohorts at, at in insurance would say, are you insane? Like, you're never going to make money doing that. Like, you're going to help people? What? <laughs> but, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, especially with this um, pandemic, the, there is a spotlight on mental illness as a mm-hmm. huge problem. So pre-pandemic, it was one out of five adults in the U.S. struggle with mental illness. And on the chronic pain side of it, it's one out of two people. So when you st- actually, this does actually tie into insurance. When you start to think about the fact that if somebody has a knee surgery and the insurance company says, this is going to cost $100,000 and you should be back to work in four weeks, if the patient's not compliant because they're not following what the doctor tells them to, and 40% of people are non-compliant, then they're not taking their medicine the way they're supposed to. And that's 50% of people don't take their meds the way they're supposed to. If they keep going back to the doctor or the hospital over and over because their, their injury's not healing, 
the hospital doesn't bill, can't collect more money for the insurance company. So now it starts to impact their, their profit margin. And then when you think about the work, return to work, right, workers' comp, you start to think about hospitals, are they treating the comorbidity? So you have a knee injury, but but you're also overweight, you're not, but let's just say you are, and you have diabetes, right? And then now you have all this trauma because you got injured at work. Now you're not returning to work and it's been a year later. So mm-hmm. what we ultimately, being the researcher that I am, where I'm going with all of this is not just developing white labeled apps for hospitals and companies for employee wellness, but track the data and ultimately show if people are more proactive and using this you know, wellness tool, and they're getting and they're taking better care of themselves. We want to influence ultimately the loss ratio. Even if we even if we get ten percent of people to be more mindful and aware of how they're feeling and taking better care of their physical and, and emotional health, that, that everybody wins. So in my mind, like it's a win, 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 win. We win. The patient wins. The doctors win. The the insurance company wins. So that's there is no failure or loss <laughs> or losing. Um. Loyal listeners, do, do you hear it? Do you hear the passion? I mean, they do. They hear the passion that I have about things, and they're hearing it with you, Delana. Wow. Um, I can't even get through the questions. You're just, you're just overexcited about what you do. And um, I'm excited because I'm taking some notes of the things that you're saying. And I think we're going to pull some things out like we always do at the uh, podcast that you probably haven't thought about before. And I want to get your opinion on it. But before okay. we do... There's two things in the world and at SIDA and the agency intelligence world. There's two things that we feel make you successful in life. And out of those two things, it's either, um, it's either skill about for loyal <laughs> listeners, I about, yeah, about yeah. forgot, either yeah. skill or luck. And if we use just those two factors to decide where you are today, which one would you say has gotten you to where you are more than the other? I think skill all day long. Skill. You think so? Yeah. You haven't, you haven't had luck. Well, what I will tell you is I, I believe I manifest this. I keep saying the right people keep showing up at the right time. And I think people are so drawn because this is so purpose-based that they, they believe I can be the ambassador of this cause, but they're drawn to the cause, right? I mean, right. I've had people that are CEOs that are not going to leave their company because I, and, and I can't pay them CEO salaries, but they're just like, you, here's my personal cell phone number. I will help you in any way. I will open doors. You call me for advice. So I had somebody build me an Alexa skill. Oh, now she's going to talk in the background. Sorry, Alexa. Um, for free. I'm like, what? So I have an executive coach who who, who just recruited a, a, a world-class advisory board. He should have charged me $35,000, but he didn't. So I'm like, what? The, so I guess there is some luck in there. but I, I think, There is luck, but I know yeah. what you're saying. I know what yeah. you're saying. Sometimes just things just fall in love. I think it goes back to, I think they said Henry Ford said it, but who knows? It seems the harder I work, the luckier I get. That's so much. That's so damn true. You know, it's so true. And uh, I can see how that could work for you too. People are uh, crave people that have passion, you know, that have that are excited. It's something they want to do. And then there's also people who are just really happy with having a normal life, going to work and just doing their thing. And we attract those people as well because it's like, wow, I could never be like that person, but I can. And I think anybody could be like us. They just have to wake up and just go to work. I mean, that's there's people out there that have issues. I get that. But I'm just saying it's ironic that I've said this before. I have met Fat people who are successful, skinny people who are successful, bald people who are successful, people who have lots of hair that's successful, introverts that are successful, extroverts that are successful, uh, tall people, short people, 
So that tells me none of those actually have to do with what's making you successful or not. A lot of it just has to do about the way you carry yourself and you get up and try to help people. I think that that comes back down to it. And I'd say grit, right? Grit is a popular grit. word in the entrepreneurial world. Um, mm -hmm. I, I the, One of the best compliments I got from the person that runs our development team, he just said, you know, the reason why I'm still here, because we've had highs and lows with the fundraise and stops and starts. He just said, you're a freaking steamroller. Nothing stops you. It doesn't matter what comes in yeah. front of you. You're like, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. And what, you know, what I feel most humbled and moved by is, once the pandemic hit, we had $145,000 of angel investor money freeze. So I have 22 people. I had to call all of them to say, hey, guys, I'm only going to make half a payroll this week, and I'm using my mortgage money to do it. I was afraid to deliver that message. And they all said, if there's someone on, on the team that needs the funding more than I do, I'm fine. Redirect the money. And then literally for the next three months, they're like, we're not stopping. Like we're, we've never been needed more. So for three months, they all worked and, and got paid zero. So they people don't follow, people don't follow a cause or I mean, sorry, people will follow a leader, but they will most importantly follow a cause. The problem that we sometimes don't see though, is it takes a leader to create and to vision out and to create the vision for a cause. And so right now you've created a vision for what you're doing. But from what I'm hearing is that they believe in what you have said, which they believe in the cause, right? I think a lot of things that are going on right now, whether it's racial tension on the white side or the black side, political tension on the Republican or Democrat, there's a bunch of great causes that have been started, but none of them have good leadership. And that's the reason why we're sitting in our, in our society right now, spinning and all getting mad at each other. We need a leader, right? Because then we'll all get behind that. It's so crazy to think that, that some leader, he or she could come along and correct the issues that we're having in society. And we know for a fact it can be done because it's what's the only way it's been done in our history. People forget that at one point in time, we were Americans that were shooting each other. And we came from that, right? And we're here now. There's nothing that we're encountering right now that we can't handle. Sorry, I went off on that, but I want to get back to this. So, um, Delana, let's talk about um, where do you where were you born? I was born in a blue collar town in Connecticut uh, called Naugatuck, Connecticut. Naugatuck. Naugatuck. <laughs> Naugatuck. Where Naugahyde was invented, as a matter of fact. Actually, the yeah, uh, yeah the vulcanized rubber, which it w mm. is. What, so tires don't melt when cars get uh, hot was, I think, invented in my hometown. So that's why a little fast I didn't fact. even know that there was a reason why the tires didn't get hot because I guess <laughs> yeah. that makes sense. Tires would get hot and melt. I yeah, didn't yeah. even think of that, you know? Yeah. I, I just uh, just bodily injury property damage. That's where yeah, I'm yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. And where do you live now? I'm in Tallinn, Connecticut. Uh, still in Connecticut. And the Near one time Utah. we yeah. – Yeah, we um, – I was invited, loyal listeners, to the yeah. TPC by uh, – Delana and her husband, and we went out there, and uh, that was a great time. Josh Berger and I went out yeah. there. Um, I literally, uh, great, great story. Justin Rose, who had won the U.S. Open the the week before. Normally, the travelers at this time, loyal listeners, the travelers was the week after the U.S. Open. So sometimes a lot of like really good golfers who just like gave it everything at the U.S. Open wouldn't necessarily come to the travelers. Well, Justin Rose had already committed to come to the travelers thing and then he wins the U.S. Open. So then he comes to this thing with a bunch of other people that I get invited to a dinner where he's on stage speaking. Um, at the end of it, he, he, the, they, they leave um, off the back of the stage and everybody starts eating dinner. 
not Jason Cass. I walked up and just walked right out the back door, <laughs> right where they went. And I look over and there he is. And I walked right up to him and I said, hey, Justin, uh, congratulations on winning um, the U.S. Open. Dude, that's awesome. Can I get a picture? He's like, yeah, sure. And so if you go to my Facebook, oh, uh, wow. I've got pictures with him, Freddie uh, J- uh, Jacobson. I call him Jacobson, but Jacobson, whatever. Yeah. I've got Freddie there. Um, that's awesome. All kinds of people were there. And it was, it was really, really kind of crazy. And so I went back in. And my buddies are like, dude, where the hell did you go? I just open up my phone and just start pulling up all these pictures. It was a, it was a great story. That's amazing. But the thing is, everybody stood there, not cast. Cast got up and walked, you know, and I'm going, <laughs> I'm going after them until, until security says, hey, dude, you can't come back here. Yeah. I'm going to keep walking. And what was crazy is, is in the back area, it was a big room, Delana, yeah. and there was probably 15 people in there at most and seven to eight of them were golfers. And so it was just like, I'm just walking around getting pictures, giving them high fives for what they did. Man, that was a great time. That was That's awesome. right. That's awesome. That was, that was an awesome time. That was an awesome. Anyways, let's get back onto this because it's not about cast. <laughs> um, take us back to high school, college, and bring us forward to who you are, where you are now. So I, in high school, I, I actually, I think I still have my discus record for my high school uh, track team. So I, was, I threw discus, which interestingly, it's a finesse sport like golf. So um, it's really not about, you know, being Amazon, like big, long arms. With, with something like javelin, having long arms really helps. But with discus, it's finesse. It's really about really? fluidity of mo- movement, just like with golf. When I started golfing, my problem was, with discus, when you're transferring your weight from your feet through your arms, you you change feet at the last second. So with golf, I kept wanting to shift my feet. So I had to like, yeah, yeah, you got gotcha, the gotcha. <laughs> Yeah, I'm over here saying, loyal listeners, you can't see me, but I'm over yeah, here yeah. doing He's the throwing air discus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so and I was my yearbook editor um, and I, I was a, a singer. So I grew up in a very musical house. So I went off to UConn. I was the first in my family to go to college. I was studying political science, and uh, I thought I wanted to be a lobbyist because I really liked the idea of gathering information and making sure that legislators made informed decisions. So when I first got out of school, I worked at the state capitol in Connecticut and then decided to go back to school and get my advanced degree in research methods. And that was my path down in research. So I love studying behavior and people, understanding what makes them tick and try to anticipate what they're going to do next. And so a lot of my research um, in my career through my 20s became um, working for company or doing research for companies that wanted to either come out with new products or identify new markets. So with travelers, I, I wondered what I like going from packaged goods. I did a lot for adult beverage industry, like new fo- formulation tests for the next Jose Cuervo, let's say. Um, that or, sounds fun. Forget the lobby. That job. was really fun. fun. Yeah. Like, should they take the, a handle off the Smirnoff bottle? And if they do, will that impact perception of quality? It was so oh, you realize, wow. oh, yeah. And then, of course, you'd get some funny answers like, you know, what about the, the product did you like? And then somebody said, well, I woke up and somebody shaved off my eyebrow. I'm like, that's not what? <laughs> <laughs> so we would keep these this like wall of all these crazy things that people would say. Yeah. I mean, we did some wild things. So with, you know, when you think about adult beverage industry, bartenders are influencers and they're gatekeepers. So a lot of what the adult beverage companies would do is fly into big cities like LA, New York, like we're the most influential markets and literally take bartenders and fly them to Spain so they can see here in Spain, you drink cola with scotch. It's a cool, hot European thing because back in the States, 
bartenders would be like, you don't mix soda with, with, with scotch. So anyway, so I'm like, how, do, how will I feel going from, and I actually started in political polling. Then I got into adult beverage and packaged good research. Then I'm like insurance. Am I going to like this? And I absolutely loved it because it's, it's now suddenly we're selling an intangible, right? Like you can't say buy the product. So when, in, in the insurance industry, it's a, you're, you're selling a promise, right? And the moment of truth is when someone has a claim. And the crazy thing is once a person has a claim, their, their affection and affinity for their insurance carrier and their is even is amplified. And interestingly, like the love affair is always between the customer and the agent. You guys are the ones that um, hold the relationship close to your heart. Come on. Okay. So man, I mean, to, to be honest with you, it, what I, what, what I really like is your, is your research ability. Um, that is something that I know this is crazy. I wasn't thinking about this, but I didn't realize you were so much into research and I love people like you um, because Sarah, um, Nicholas, who works at, uh, for, for actually runs agency intelligence. Um, she is like you very good at researching and finding out why things are done. I think a lot of us just like to pull shit out of the sky like me, but I mean, she really actually researches and there's sometimes she'll say, Jason, you're saying something from somebody that you're quoting that that's not really them. And I'm like, well, shit, thanks for telling me that. I, I just listened to what somebody else said, you know? So I, I really, really, people like yourself are, if people would research more, we wouldn't have a lot of people believe in memes as the way they get the news today, right? Right, right. Uh, you know? So that's good stuff. That's good stuff. I like it. So continue on. I mean. The, the other super important thing is it's not about being right. And it's not about actually having the data to back up the, the answer. It's a, it's, it, the key is the ability to tell the story in a way that's non-threatening, right? So what, one thing I would, so that, now we get into like the organizational psychology. So before I would present results to the senior leaders at Travelers, I would always need to know, is this, is this um, a, a discovery of something they don't know? Or am I just validating something they know? And if it's something they don't know, is it controversial or not, right? I mean, it, things were politically charged. So like on the one hand, they had to trust me to invite me in to say, there's something either wrong or something we don't know. Will you help us diagnose and, and get an answer? I mean, they have to have, they have to trust me and have, and have humility to admit that. But then mm -hmm. for me to come back and say, not only is your baby ugly, your baby's really ugly, like, or whatever the story. So I had to really finesse, like, how do I deliver the information, right? And who, who should hear the story privately before I'm presenting it in a big room? And they, I just, I didn't realize how important that skill was because if people just do research and the, the organization doesn't like the answer, it sits on a shelf on a dusty binder and no change happens. Mm. So it, so that took me into, I'm going to start studying PhD level organizational psychology because I, I love this. Like when they know it's the right answer, but they don't want to change it. Why? So I did that for a year. That was my nerdy hobby. Sounds awesome. And then uh, from there I thought I, I want to understand how the subconscious works. So I'm going to study hypnosis. <laughs> so I trained, I did a whole certification program in it and I went into it saying, it's not like I'm actually going to do anything with it. I just want to know about the subconscious. But in order to get the certification, you had to do a hundred hours of hypnotizing people. And it actually blew me away at how powerful of a tool hypnosis is. And somebody that could be in talk therapy their whole life and never get to the root cause 
could be cleared up with hypnosis. So, Delana, this isn't bullshit. No, no, it's not bullshit. So, but this is kind of how I went from the, how did you go from corporate mm-hmm. VP running a department to then you just walked away, collect my bonus, cash in my stocks and formed a company. Well, and hypnotherapy was one of the things that we did. So if you oh. flash forward to today, the, how my goal, and this is massive change management, right? Like how now I'm trying to influence the healthcare industry and I don't even have to try that hard because doctors know the system's broken, right? Insurance mm-hmm. companies know the system's broken. And so the only difference between hypnosis and guided meditation is with hypnosis, we're, we're putting something in and telling you to do something. With with guided meditation, usually you're visualizing. We're not saying, you know, don't smoke, don't smoke. But the way that we're writing these meditations that are delivered through our apps, we're leveraging best practices in hypnotherapy, but we're also using neuro-linguistic programming. So that whole concept is the subconscious doesn't hear don't smoke. The subconscious here smoke. So we have to word everything in a way that's pointing the bike in the direction where we want the person to go. Wow, so, um, so there's a lot of rubric and clinical um, guidelines on how everything is written. So I do, so I'm using the organizational site because we're right influencing companies to mm-hmm. put their, their brand on an app and give it to employees. And so now you have a tool at home. Now everybody's home that you can use when you can't sleep, right? When you're feeling anxiety, um, you mentioned racial tension. One of our accounts, it's 500 insurance or 500 accountants. So they don't have PTSD like the frontline workers have, but they, they gave us an interesting challenge. They said, can you write meditation on financial worry? So I, my creative team came back with this brilliant way to do that. They said, what can you do on diversity and inclusion? And we're like, Ugh, how are we going to touch that one? But our two of our writers came up with two beautiful meditations that really talk about compassion for others. So they, this in all of this craziness, so much innovation is happening in healthcare, obviously, and in companies in general, but especially with what our product is shaped up to be. So um, yeah, so wow. I, we do use the hypnosis. <laughs> Did you hear that virtual intelligence and on-hand VAs actually merge? That's right. I was talking to Michael Cruz and checking out what he has there with his Colombian workers. And I said to him, dude, what's up? You realize you're not a VA, right? He said, what do you mean? I said, you're a VE. Look it up on ChatGPT. I encourage you to do that too. He's got forward-facing VEs. VEs that can answer the phone and take questions 30 days in. You say yes to Michael. I want what you have. In 30 days, that's what he delivers. I said, Michael, this is unbelievable. We're strong in the front, but we're really strong in the back end. You provide the external VE for us. We provide the internal VE. I looked at him. I said, buddy, let's do this together. Let's, let's do this. And he looked at me and he put out his hand and like a good solid Cuban American, he said, Jason, I'm committed. Let's do it. And that's what we did. We flew to Columbia. We saw his operation and you need to see it too. Give us a little click at virtual Intel. That's with two L's. That's virtual I N T E L L dot com. Go check us out. See what we're doing. High quality VEs mixed with technology delivered right into your agency. And you don't have to do all the things that you don't like to do, like hiring, firing, recruiting, recreating, trying to find processes. Just there's so much stuff. I can't even say it right. That's right. Virtual Intel cast certified.
Well, and, 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 and loyal listeners, you now see the beauty of why she's on here. Um, I didn't really know about all this. You know, I, I wanted to bring you on because I knew you had something to give the loyal listeners and you're doing fantastic. So then let's talk about something real quick. Let's take a side note of uh, a sidestep of what actually your app was really built for. And it's about for a lot of different things. But I want to talk about mental illness. Yeah. And I want to talk about mental illness because it's just really, really weird. So I have been doing some, um, I don't want to say studying, that's, that's not right, or <laughs> saying research, but I've been, philosophy is a really, really cool thing to me, okay? And I just don't do it just because like, you know, it's, I, I do it because I really, truly like the way of learning about how the world was thinking about certain things at certain times, right? And it goes into... I was listening to a podcast session when I was camping this last weekend and a guy was talking about mental health and he was talking, this is a philosopher that, that uh, was writing this book about mental health in the 80s and he was talking about how science, while it is really, really great, has brought us into a world that science now, for instance, he was using, uh, before he used mental health, he used sexuality, okay? Back 100, 200, and before, years before that, we didn't have really people who were determining like, hey, you're heterosexual, hey, you're gay, hey, this and that. I mean, it's just who you were. We hadn't had science really in um, study sexuality like we have now. And when science studies it, it starts to put labels on it. And then when it starts to put labels on it, now we start to see it differently and it becomes more important and one's better than the other and la 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 la. And he went back to mental health. And he said, mental health is the same way. And so upon looking at prior history, people who were crazy, mad, had mental illness, were never labeled as that. They weren't put in institutions. They were, they were allowed to live their lives. They lived their lives among society. Now it's because of, let's say, the oppression that we have put on them through labels that has now made them act down in certain ways that they wouldn't have before because they weren't set aside in, in, in society. Right. And I don't want to sit here and blame it, but I want to say that I believe that science is fantastic for our world. But I think we've evolved into this society and this world that everything science says, that's the way it is. And if you don't believe that, you're wrong or right. And I want to challenge that. But when it comes to mental health, I thought it was interesting how in prior years, hundred centuries, Mental health wasn't seen the way that it was. We didn't lock people up. We didn't give them a stigmata that science has given them. And I think it's now, it's now reached a point in time where you have opposites happening. You have people who are absolutely scared to admit they have a mental illness. And then you have the opposite end of the person who is normal. Let's just say, well, what is normal, right? Science is the one telling us what's normal or not. But we have a person that science would say is normal to where they are absolutely so oblivious and uneducated and ignorant to what a mental illness is that they immediately like ostracize somebody. Right. And then the person who's being ostracized is now sitting here under not understanding that. And I think that there's a lot that can be said because you said one in five mm -hmm. are experiencing mental illness. Yeah. Would you not agree that those are just mm -hmm. the one in five that are admit admitting it? Yeah, well, 47 million society, people. Yeah. Yeah. I think in our society we have, I think there's more than that. I really, truly do. They just don't want to say it. It's the stigmata. Right. Well, and you know, the other messiness in all this is that th there is this obviously self-limiting beliefs or self-fulfilling prophecy. If you believe you need pills 
to not feel sad and to help you sleep and to get rid of anxiety, you've created this spiral that how do you ever get out of it? So, you know, this one's a hot button for me. I, I was raised by my Polish grandmother and, uh, well, my dad worked third shift because my mom was institutionalized throughout my childhood. And my parents didn't, or my dad and my grandmother and dad did a really great job of shielding me from it. So I didn't understand it, but wow, she passed when I was 23. And part of my, I wanted to understand it. I had a fear of it. So I worked with a, a clinician who was able to go back and get some of her medical records on the mental health side. And wow. in the seventies, you know, they didn't know how to treat things like bipolar disorder. Um, so they would give such heavy doses of stuff that my mom didn't, you know, she, she didn't want to go that path because she felt mm-hmm. like she was a walking zombie. So um, when I was older, you know, like college age, she, you know, she told me openly that she didn't, she didn't, They wanted her to be on something like lithium, crazy doses, but she felt like she was asleep. So she didn't want to live that way. So she self-medicated. So now we get this like interesting relationship of you have mental illness, then addiction comes into play. And with chronic pain, I mean, if one out of two adults in the U.S. have chronic pain, that's pain is both both physical and emotional. So if you're feeling all these emotional things, your pain levels are amplified and then comes in more drugs. So, you know, I didn't want to get close to this really heavy emotional stuff. That's where I I would say my, my business partner, Rita, she had the clinical background and I focused on the business stuff. But, um, the joke was, I don't know if I already said this, that when you'd visit our office, if you were going to cry, you had to go see her. Like, cause I'm like, I'm not getting involved in this, but now it's so in my face and there, there continues to be mental illness across my family. And so I sometimes feel desensitized to where do we draw the line? So if, if somebody believes they need pills to feel in a better mood, that's, that will be true forever. Cause that's what they believe. So I always, I think came from this mindset of there's a way to release endorphins in your body naturally and get the same result of, of a drugs by going out for a run or by going out in nature. So I don't like to take aspirin. Like I'm on the other side of it. I'm not saying farm is bad, but um, you know, when we're in this strange world now where doctors are getting patient satisfaction scores and if the scores are low, patients or doctors income is being dinged for it. So, and patients are pissed if they don't get pills. So like we have to break this and it, and it mm-hmm. it's going to take all sides. It's going to take legislation. It's going to take, you know, advocacy, patient advocacy and doctor advocacy and data and technology for us to say, it took 30 years for us to have this opioid crisis and it, we, we shouldn't take 30 years to get out of it. So okay. this, this, this is a bigger thing I'm tackling, right. Um, mm-hmm. With a team of passionate people, but what I'm so grateful for is obviously the team, but doctors are embracing us and coming, having spent seven years in insurance, I guess I talk like them. I think like them. I get the, I get the red tape. I get the high regulations. It takes a lot to move something through a system and and implement, implement a change. But we all know that the pain is staying the same. It's too great. Like we have to change. So it's going to take time, but yeah. That's good stuff. So my dad has bipolar disorder and so he's been on lithium uh, so I, I have witnessed that, right? And so I denied that I had any kind of issue um, until my wife, uh, who had told me, I think we had been together like five or six years, but we had only been married like two. She told me that she was going to uh, take my son and leave unless I got some help. 
And so it was one of those things that was like, well, this is important, right? Um, I believe that I told my doctor from day one, I said, I've seen what my dad's been on. I'm not going to be on that. You know, I'll medicate myself somehow, some way, but I'm not going to be on that because my dad was a very successful businessman. But at the end of the day, if you ever knew my dad when he was on it, he actually had energy. But the other time he was just like, uh, you know, right. um, has the shakes real bad, you know? And so I thought to myself, like, I don't, I don't want to live like that. Um, and so luckily there's type one, there's type two. I have type two. My dad has type one. I say to people, a lot of times, my friends, the crazy person, you see them dragging off of the airplane because they didn't take their medication and they say, oh, he's bipolar. And I hate that because right. it projects right. a total wrong image right. of how that person is. That's type one. Type two, what was amazing, they put me on Lamictal, which is an anti-seizure medicine. And they said, this works sometimes with people. I went through like three or four different medicines, right. but on this one here, but I do, I take one pill every, every night. And how I know it worked was, is I didn't tell people that I was on it. My wife knew. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had people after 30 to 45 days being like, Hey man, are you okay? You know? And it wasn't like they were worried because I was sad. It was just like, I wasn't like, I know my loyal listeners and you, Delaney, yeah. you see me as bouncing off the wall. Yeah. You know, see me bounce off the wall when I'm not on any kind of medication. And I would be interested in, and, and, and knowing more about these, these types of, of services. So if I'm, going to, if I'm going to medicate myself with illegal drugs or something, I get that. But at the same time, I'm also lazy. And if I can take this pill and it makes me feel better with no side effects and I've taken it 15 years. Now, my doctor does say he hates the fact that I'm taking it every day because he doesn't know what it's doing long term in my liver. Right, right, um, right. So there's those type of things. But uh, I'm interested to hear because it makes sense. If you can have people use your tool and you can back it up with data that right. it's getting fixed, it's right. people like me that will see that. Because I have witnessed the data of people taking pills and getting better. Right. So if you can show me data that doesn't right. do that, yeah. I'm all yeah. about that. Sure. I'm so glad you, you're bringing this up because I, I, it's a big thing and I forget to tell people. So we're actually partnered with Hartford HealthCare, which has 30,000 employees um, across the, the state. And we're doing a clinical trial with a chronic pain population. And when COVID happened, we, we had to pause on consenting people into the study. But we took the opportunity to say, let's take the nine meditations that are going to be in this clinical trial. Let's record them in Spanish. And it turns out we're going to be the second only bilingual, you know, Span Spanish and English meditation clinical trial in the, wow. in, in the U.S., number two. I'm like, meanwhile, last year there were 7,000 studies on mindfulness. So I don't, so it's very interesting um, when you think about mindfulness and meditation, it is, it does have a very ethnocentric. Mindfulness, what do you mean by that? When you say mindfulness, what do you mean? So mindfulness could be, it's about being completely present in the moment. So if you were to eat your breakfast in the morning, you're there's no other stimulus. You're not listening to the news and checking your iPhone like you're fully, or sorry, your Android phone. You're fully present and you're you're tasting the okay. texture, the smell. And so you can be mindful in, in anything. Okay, so I got what you're saying. Yeah. Businesses are, are, it's kind of becoming very in vogue in businesses to have mindfulness, but meditation is one form. So that's what we're going to be testing. Um, it's going to be an eight-week trial, but there's a $150 million fund federal fund that if you are creating things that are non-pharmacological approaches to pain, the government is is giving, you know, millions of dollars Sweet. out. So we're going to do this this clinical pilot, but the idea is we want to have a long-term longitudinal three-year study running in the background because 
the more, if you, if you meditate and you're quieting your mind for 10 minutes a day, you literally change the physiology of your body, which means your body's innate ability to heal itself is amplified. You have better immune system, right? The more people are tense and seized up because they're stressed and frustrated, your body, your, your body's suboptimized and it can't, it can't repair the bad things that are happening constantly in our body. So, um, so no one's done a long tail test. They, there's a lot of research out there that's four, four weeks, eight weeks, but I want to be tracking. If you were in my study, I would literally follow you for three straight years, tracking how much meditation you're doing. And then has your health profile changed? You know, has your prescription usage changed? Has your everything measuring mm -hmm. all your um, biometrics? So, so I'm thrilled. The research is going to be like, then we're going to be putting people in MRI machines and watching their brain. So, so yeah, like it's wow. so, so and you're doing it over 30,000 people over Hartford. Oh, well, that's their employees. So we do, we did actually, when COVID hit, we only started selling the product in February, then this happened. <laughs> so we said, well, we're just going to give it away right now and we'll figure out licensing later because people need it right now. So we gave Hartford Healthcare a free version, a free trial for, for their 30,000 employees. But that's separate from the, the clinical trial is with chronic pain patients. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So, so that's what we did. We just said, we're going to start pushing it out there. And now- Man. We're getting incoming calls saying, hey, one, one is a, a sleep supplement company. They said, we want a, a, a white-labeled sleep app to give to our, our people that subscribe to our product. So the nice thing is, since we spent three years developing all these meditations, we're writing every day, but all the code for Apple and Android, um, we have a flexible tech stack. So I could give you a branded app for your agency for $250 a month. And by the way, apps cost eighty grand. 50 to 80 grand. If I built this product from scratch today, it would cost me $150,000. Right. But because we designed it in a way that how can we have it available for small businesses, not just large corporations? So I have a very large organization right now. Um, there are 151 people that we insure. I could give it to them. It could be branded through us or branded through them and they yep. can give it to their employees. Yep. Then they would download it and we could have videos in there, blogs. It can have a link to your podcast if you wanted. It, it, um, I don't yeah, want so the, them, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the, so the, the, the mindfulness meditations are just, I mean, it, it's kind of the core of what's in there, but it could have connectivity into anything else. So yeah. if there was an employee assistance program like hotline that could be put in there. Um, and what one hospital did, which I thought was very eloquent, they have a peer-to-peer -peer mentoring. So if you're having a moment and you're like, I really need to talk and you don't want to go through a formal channel, people in the hospital have volunteered to be there for each other. So with that particular app, we, we put in mood tracking. So we, you opt in, yes, I want to track my mood. And you'll see five little you know, sad face to a smiley face. If you click a sad face, then you listen to a meditation and then you're still a sad face, the app will then direct you right to the website to reach out to somebody. So it's nice to have these like digital interventions, but we're also tracking what's the pulse of how people are feeling emotionally in that organization and do they need more support? Delana, have we evolved as humans that this is needed today, but may have not been needed 50, 100 or 150 years ago because of the lifestyle they had? I know you weren't yeah. alive. Then, yeah. I 100% think that the levels of you know, suicide is at an all-time high right now. Um, the levels that are at all-time high because we're overstimulated. And I think some of what COVID is teaching us is that now people are home with their families like they used to be, right? Everything's closed on a Sunday, right? People are getting out in nature. So 
people that don't know any other way are going back to the way it was before they were born, which I think is actually a really good thing, right? People are making meals together as a family, right? They're they're reaching out to relatives at a frequency they didn't used to. So I think at a societal level and a humanity level, like this is a this is a reset that's happening, and I don't know how many of us are going to go back to the way it was, right? I mean, and you're you're right about that. You are so right about that. About uh, it really is, and people don't realize it is bringing us back. I said to my wife the other day, it is so weird how many of my friends are showing their pictures of with them in their family and they're hiking, right? They're, 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 and, and 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 like they didn't like just do it for a day or two. Like they took a whole vacation and went white water rafting and all kinds of stuff. And that's the same family that always is on the beach with their white shirts getting their pictures taken. But it's kind of like let's do something else, you know? And we're we're in this mess. We can't go sit around and 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 get COVID in these restaurants. Let's go out yeah. in the woods. And uh, I've talked to a lot of people who have told me that, like, dude, that was something me and my family have needed for a long time, and we're going to do that again. Yeah. And it, it's those weird things, how bad things are always have a silver lining. You just got to look for it sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, sure. you know, you're talking about suicide. Another, this, another, uh, I just saw this statistic the other day and actually researched it to make sure it was correct. But they <laughs> say 22 U.S. veterans t- do have su- suicide daily. 22 yeah. veterans, 22 a day commit suicide. I thought for sure that was wrong. That's why I went and researched it and know it is correct. Yeah. Well, since we're having these offline conversations with the hospitals, we're, get, we're learning things that they're not putting in the media. So one is high school student suicide rate is skyrocketed, but they don't want to write about it because there's the you know copycat stuff that starts mm-hmm. to happen. Mm-hmm. And the calls and visits to hospitals for mental health and addiction are suspiciously low right now because people are afraid that they're going to get COVID. So they're not getting the help and treatment that they need. So mm-hmm. this is creating all sorts of fear-based behavior. Um, and when we're when we're designing and writing this stuff, we're writing for a broad audience. So when people sometimes say, well, you know, how about Headspace and Calm? And we're thrilled that those guys are trailblazing and they've got their war chests, but you know, they're user profile. It is that more yogi market, which skews female. It's the self-help market, East Coast, West Coast, higher on the socioeconomic spectrum, um, high, higher income, lower on urbanicity, um, and not really vets, right? But when with our product, if we're saying, well, we're tackling the 47% of the population in chronic pain, they're in all shapes and sizes and colors and, and you know, culturals. So we just recorded our first Muslim meditation because people can't go to mosques right now, right? We have the Spanish speaking that I mentioned. We're doing a faith-based series, right? Because some of the hospitals, if it's a Catholic hospital, they ask for that. But for folks that are like, I'm not meditating. Well, would you agree that if we we walked you through an eight-minute stretch before you get out of bed, that that might make you feel a little better? Sure. So then comes the movement series. So the whole idea is for me to do my job well, we have to meet people where they are to get them to where they have to go. So, and that might mean the one, one funny category we were talking about, what if we had a category called snap? So if you're like, I am going to lose my shit right now, like click on snap. Well, what's in snap? It's not going to be a close your eyes and take a deep breath. It might be something you would never expect, but if something in there unexpected surprises you and you laugh, like in a split second, that shifts your vibration and shifts your mood. So we've got to find a way to interrupt that circuit pattern if somebody's really upset. And right now there are a lot of really upset people out there. So 
So it's a lot of people say if if you're stressed out, take a walk or you know just kind of look at a a wall. What is something other than your app that you have in your research? What is something someone could do when they're feeling overwhelmed and they don't have your app? What what is something you would tell them to do? This sounds like very tree hugger, but I'm going to tell you it will work. If you walk outside and you either put your bare feet in the grass or literally put your hands on a tree, there's it's very grounding. So this is about when we're upset. There's the, our, our, our energy pattern and circuitry is negative, but to go out in nature, um, get away from your computer, get away from electronics and just in, mo- in just a few moments, it makes, it makes a big difference. In fact, the fact that we used to be barefoot a really long time ago, we were just more calm and peaceful because we were connected with nature. So that's, that's an easy one. Um, if you're a verbal person, like there is this idea that we have these energetic ties to people. So if you just literally say, for anyone I've given my energy to, friends, family, acquaintances, strangers, my energy's mine. I want it back. You're kind of like almost energetically cutting these ties. And then you say, for anyone who's given me their energy, their energy belongs to them. I don't want it. And the idea is, if I come into your office and you had a bad morning and you were stuck in traffic and you're in a bad mood, it just takes a few minutes before your bad mood starts to affect everybody in the room. Mm-hmm. So this is a way like how we want to protect our, or, you know, um, insulate our energy. So, so literally just that. And again, it, like, like I, I like said that. to you, this is like kind of like self-fulfilling prophecy. If you have this practice and you're like, I'm going to clear my energy, you, you can. Um, another one I like to do when I shower in the morning, I'll just clap my hands and I'll put my hands above my head. So the water's running through my hands. And I just imagine that the water is like white light, just white energy washing away anything negative. So, um, so that, that's another, that doesn't, I mean, isn't it, isn't it amazing that 15 to 20 years ago, people would have called you crazy by saying this, but now we, (laughs) no, but now we like really, yeah, they still might, but a lot of people (laughs) are kind of noticing that there is this energy, right? There's these things that are out there. I think it's still tough for people to grasp. Um, but uh, no, that's great stuff. That's great stuff. So I need to go put my hands on a tree or my feet in the grass. I do like my feet in the grass. So I, I, um, I, I might have to do that. Um, Glenda, this has been fantastic. If people want to find out more about your app or they want to, you know, just get talk to you because you're yeah. cool. Um, <laughs> not, not everybody like knows you like I do, but how yeah. could they reach out to you? So, well, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, which is, you know, the marketplace for all things professional for me. I say I'm a LinkedIn rat. I think I have probably 27 published articles on there. Um, so you can always, re- I, I'm very Great. responsive when people reach out. Um, the the consumer facing app is free for 90 days. It's called MediMind, like M-E-D-I, MediMind. So you could try that out and sample the content. Um, and if anybody is interested in having a, a branded version for their staff, like I said, it's a couple hundred bucks a, a month or a couple hundred, listen to me, <laughs> couple hundred. Yeah, no, yeah. A couple hundred bucks a month. A month um, yeah. yeah, there we go. Wow. I'm not the numbers per, the, the financial okay. person. Um, yeah. And then that's probably, we actually, I'm, I'm glad to learn. I wrote it down. We have a podcast because we, our team has been, I think they have seven recorded so far. They haven't done anything with it because they're going to release them, but it's called a uh, Medi, what would they call it? Medi, Medi Mindful Moments. And they're interviewing mm-hmm. some really fascinating people um, in different, you know, from people that mm-hmm. are doing open source gardening to just 
pool, their how what is their mindful practices. Wow, so I'll probably podcast. follow up with you and and uh, have them talk about what they have and how your team can yeah, help. We will, we will, and that's pretty good. And I'm also would like to talk about for the mastermind. I'm thinking about. I'm trying to figure out a way that I could purchase this for everybody in the mastermind. Um, because I think this would be very, very interesting. And I, and I don't care if 10 people use it out yeah. of the 160 that are in there. I think well, that'd be interesting. So we, maybe we, we can come up with something. Sure. And we could make it like we could beta test it for four months and look, look and see what usage is like. And we're always analyzing the behavior of what's getting used by what audience and sleep's a big one. We find that 40% of what gets listened to is sleep and nature sounds. So even if you don't like hearing people guide you in meditation, there's, there's a rolling river one that puts, seems to put people to sleep. So yeah. So yeah. So let's, let's follow up. I'd love to help you out with that. I really appreciate you. I am glad that we met. I think it was probably 2012. The only reason why I say that is, is well, how, how did I think about that earlier? You said act, something. Yeah, the act conference. It was act, it was act, but you told me something that made me think of 2014. I can't remember what it was now. And I thought to myself, okay, wait a minute. I knew her a couple years before 2014. Yeah. So that, but I'd be around 2012 or so. That's Yeah, awesome. I think 2012. And then I left corporate in 14. So mm-hmm. but I've been mm-hmm. following you across all your cool growing up on social media. And I've just been so inspired by all your innovation too. Well, thank you. Thank you. And and it's people like you that have been in my life that have allowed me to see things differently. And I do appreciate it. And, you know, one of the things that I like to talk about, I know this is only the second podcast in, in my uh, 420 some of these that I've done that I've spoke of uh, my mental illness. And I spoke of it with Erin Nutting um, because of some of the things that she goes through. Um you know, I heard something, um, I read this on Facebook this morning, and it obviously I think it, it comes into play with you. A, a person said, actually, actually, I screenshotted it, and I, want, and I want people to know that this is the reason why I talk about mental illness, for the same purpose. It said right here, I don't share my thoughts because I think it will change the mind of people who think differently. I share my thoughts to people to show people who already think like me that they're not alone. Now, I think that's important because someone would say, well, there you go sharing your political beliefs or whatever. And I, I really don't think that you should there. But but the fact is, is someone says there's no political belief that someone shared that ever changed my mind. Well, maybe it's not about you. Maybe someone is saying that because they know somebody out there feels the same way and they want them to not feel alone. And that's the way that I feel about mental health. I don't talk about this because I want you to feel one way about me or not. I could care less what you feel about me. I'm the one with the podcast that's successful. <laughs> what, I, what, I want, what I want you to do is I want people out there to hear me who are experiencing this, who are living in a life of drugs, who are living in a life of hell, going through a ton of broken up relationships and thinking if Jason can talk about that and still keep users and listeners and people who like him, I yeah. want us to all understand that anybody will do that. Right. And and so that's what I do. It I do it not to change the mind of people who think differently. I do it for those who think like me to let them know that they're not alone. And so yeah. I I really believe in that. So thank you very much for coming and bringing that out of me and making other people for I don't even know how long this was almost an hour um actually think about um things that people don't always want to talk about and then not only think about it but know that there is things that are help there. I think there's other maybe apps out there, but I know you and I know you're genuine. Where I think you're a little bit different is that I think you're doing it to make money because that's why we're in business. But you're a researcher, you're a geek, and you know that giving, <laughs> these, giving, giving these apps to people is allowing you to collect data. That's kind of reinforcing exactly. your beliefs and your teachings. 
And so it's people like you. I know you, Delana, and you're not you're doing it because, hey, I'm going to end up making money because I'm helping people. But I'm worried about helping people. So good, good for you. Well, thanks. Anything else that you would like to close up with by saying to anybody? It's been a joy spending time with you. Real treat. So thank you so much. And uh, I will continue to be a, a fan on the, on the sidelines cheering for you. <laughs> a loyal listener. Yes, yes, That's yes. <laughs> That's right. That I do. I'll send you a shirt. I'll send you a shirt. I just got new Fantastic. ones actually too. They're pretty cool. Anyways, loyal listeners, you are awesome, right? And how we know it is, is because I brought someone like Delana to you because I want you to know that what I do, I do for you. Tell me your thoughts and tell me your ideas, and I'm going to tell the world what you have to say. This is Jason Cass, and she is Delana Davis, and we are out.